Namaste everyone and welcome back to Stories You Should Know. This is Tarushi Chaudhary and you're listening to the 10th episode. Oh my god, 11 weeks, 10 episodes. What an incredible journey it has been. I started this podcast with a small idea of listening to stories around me and putting them out in the world. And the response has been overwhelming. Something I cannot describe in words. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for giving me and the podcast so much love. Today's guest is someone who loves telling stories through her lens. She sees the beauty, loss, pain, sacrifice and capture these raw emotions just the way they are. A 2018 graduate from the Rochester Institute of Technology's photojournalism program, she is now working as a photojournalist with the New York Times. Her photo of attendees at the New York City's Pride March was included in the New York Times year-end pictures in 2019, and she even photographed the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates for the New York Times editorial board. It's time to meet Brittany Newman. How are you doing? How was your shoot? It was good. It was for Vogue India. Oh, nice. Who were you shooting with? Um, I was shooting with this guy named Manish Goyal, who is um, just has like a beautiful home on 14th Street and has like oh. tons of celebrity fans, like friends and stuff. And so the story was about his real estate. Oh, nice. Um, I actually photographed yeah. his house before for the New York Times, and he was the one who recommended me to shoot for them for today's shoot. So it was good. That's very nice. I'm going to be uh, seeing pictures by you in Vogue India soon. Then. Yeah, in September. So. That's great. How's yeah. everything back there, New York? How's things around? Um, it's good. It's semi back to normal. I mean, now there's like um. outdoor eating areas that are taking up parking spaces so i feel like just like anywhere you go like no one is really winning um but i mean the protests have kind of like stopped which is kind of sad to be honest because like it only takes about a month for people to like really care and then afterwards like people don't care anymore yeah. um but i mean weather wise it's super hot <laughs> um i just i got a standing hammock on my roof and i put up like a projector and a projector screen Um so I've been having like little movie nights on my roof like every night with my friends. So oh, that's been nice. Um but otherwise nice. I get like yeah, so otherwise I get like about like two to three assignments from the times. Um so yeah, things are semi normal. So you're mostly very very occupied. So giving this time for this podcast, I uh, I'm very grateful. Thank you so much for doing it. Of course, that. thank you. It's super awesome. <laughs> So uh Brittany you are a visual journalist you uh work for New York Times and um, you have been doing this since 2019 if i'm not mm-hmm. wrong yeah, yeah so you you got on board with them as as a fellow as a photography fellow in the newsroom and um, how, how how has it been let's go back to your childhood when you were studying did you always want to be a photographer um so actually i used to do ballet for 12 years that was my life um i would wake up every day and all i want to do is ballet um i used to model and act a little bit too when i was younger but ballet always took over um and one day i broke my foot and that kept leading to injury to injury so i eventually had to stop and i was like 12 years old um and that broke my heart 
but ballet really taught me about perseverance and like never giving up and having that sort of discipline. Um, so after I broke my foot, I was homeschooled for seventh and eighth grade. Um, my mom and my stepdad taught me English and history and science and math. And I ended up taking art classes at the Art Students League um, and learning how to paint and draw. Um, and so that's kind of what geared me towards like just like visual things in general. Um, my mom, she works as a professional clown. Um, so I've always been kind of like embedded in like arts and theater and like crafts and things. Um, and so yeah, when I was, I was homeschooled for something in eighth grade and I started learning how to paint and draw and um, I ended up going auditioning for this high school called LaGuardia, um, which is like a famous arts high school in New York. Uh, the guy who did the I Heart New York logo went there. He just passed away like a couple weeks ago. Uh, Robert De Niro went there, Nicki Minaj, Jennifer Aniston, all these people. Um, and so I went there and I studied uh, drawing, painting, printmaking, ceramics, and photography. Um, and I didn't pick up my first camera until I was 13. My first camera was a Nikon FM10, uh, which is like a film camera, and my stepdad gave it to me. Um, and me and my family, we took a trip to Peru because we were learning about the Incas and the Aztecs and all these like, like Mesoamerica, like the Americas, I right. guess, in like history. Um, and so I wanted to like go visit these places and see what they look like now. Um, and so when I was 13, we ended up traveling to Peru and I took my little camera with me. And um, I just like was really fascinated by like cultures and people and like the colors and light and stuff like that. Um, at that time, I hadn't really like ever really approached anyone to like ask them like, oh, do you mind if I take your picture? It was kind of like a very observatory, like voyeur-esque type thing. Um, and then not until I was 15 did I take my first like photography class. Um, I learned darkroom practices. I learned digital photography. Um, and then every summer since then, I've been super in-depth in photography. Um, and... And yeah, I mean, it was funny, like one of those images that I took when I was in Peru, when I was 13, I actually ended up submitting that to like a National Geographic community photo thing. It was like a photo competition for like outside people to submit to. And I like won, <laughs> but I was 13. Um, That's and <laughs> I know, I was 13, so I couldn't, I couldn't actually like win. You had to be 18 and older. Um, and so, when I went to college, I studied at RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, and I said, and where you can visit um, like all the major news companies, um, like in DC and in New York. So in DC, we went to go visit Nat Geo, and I spoke to a Nat Geo editor there saying, you know, I actually like won when I was 13, this like photo competition, and he was like, really? And he was the editor for that. And he was like, wow. He like, yeah. And so he ended up going and taking time out of his day to like look up my name and my picture. And he was like, yeah, I found it. It was like, it was like a picture of a hawk, like in a canyon in Peru, which is like nothing. Um, but, but yeah, it was really cool. Um, so yeah, so after I graduated high school, I was like super embedded in like photography. I studied at ICP, the International Center of Photography School. Um, and I did all black and white film there. Um, I ended up doing my final project on um, um, during that time frame when I was a senior in high school. My stepfather died of lung cancer, and um, she sort of like stopped her clown business for like a little bit because it was just like too much stress. And so I ended up taking the role as a clown um, and doing all these like self portraits, all in black and white film, of me dressed up as a clown, um, 
taking self-portraits of me and her together, just sort of documenting like the natural, whatever, you know, our yeah. emotions and stuff. Um, and so that was like when I really kind of turned the camera on myself and got really interested in like personal stories um, and sort of like what intimacy is and like can be and what does it look like in all shapes and forms. Um, and even like trying to document your own family is super hard, like access, you know. Right. Um, I have other projects that I'm working on now that I can talk about later. That you know, uh, when you mentioned this thing, I wanted to ask you this thing. Um, I read on your website also that you majorly work around the concepts of pain and loss um, mm -hmm. and sacrifice. So did this start after you started this, uh, your entire project, you know? Uh, it started at a very early age and now you really, you, you like to focus on this particular issue because you have been involved with the, the current crisis also in America, uh, the COVID crisis, the Black Lives Matter. So you like to focus all your energy in these kind of stories. Why does it matter to you so much? Those stories, but also I'm super, if not even more so interested in happy stories. Like my mom is a character in herself. <laughs> and I've grown up around, I live in the East Village, which is, has its own like funky charm in lower Manhattan. Um, it's like a huge punk scene here and like very music heavy and just like wackadoodle people everywhere. Um, just like New York is in general. And like, I'm, I'm very interested in happy, uplifting stories as well. But um, I don't know, I, I just like, I, I just feel so much. I'm like, I think like since birth, I've been like very empathetic. Um, and I feel like the only way to express myself is through photography, is through, because I tried to, you know, like when I was doing painting and drawing, like I would, I would try and draw their emotions, but like photography really is the only tool that can do that, I think. Um, right. Um, I mean, those are, yeah, those are, I mean, when I look at, I guess like in the heat of the moment, I'm not desperately looking for like, oh, I need to find a story about loss or like, you know, I think, I think like as I start to gather all my work together and as it continues to grow, I just start to notice these things like family is at the root of like a lot of the stories that I cover or like sacrifice. Um, I documented the closure of the Ringling Brothers Circus for my senior thesis and right. that whole project had to do about sacrifice. It was about the sacrifice that these circus performers are facing like they they are having to leave this gigantic circus that's unfortunately closing and having to then move on to a different circus yet they're sacrificing their time with their family they're sacrificing like their livelihood in a sense like just, just a lot of stuff um yeah. and i and i like relate to that too you know um i've had to sacrifice things as well so um I don't know. I think it, I think it all correlates. I guess like everything just comes together. I completely understand because when I talk to um, people on my podcast and um, there are so many different stories, I get to know, get to fi find out people are going through so many things, and stories just makes you feel a lot of emotions all together. So I think I kind of understand what you are saying and the way things go. Uh, tell yeah. me about New York Times. How did it happen for you? How was it? How was the transition from uh, a college graduate to landing up a fellowship in New York Times? It was literally when I got okay. So I studied photojournalism in college. Um, I worked super duper hard. I like everyone in college would think I was like crazy for like the story ideas I came up with. Like again, I'm super focused on like character heavy stories. I like to have like a strong lead character you know, as the voice, 
um, some other people like to just shoot sort of like feature coverage or like, you know, just like images that encapsulate a scene. But my whole thing is like stories and like long-term storytelling. Um, it was me and this other girl, Kala, who used to work at the Washington Post as a photography intern. Um, and I think what like really stood out was the fact that I was like very story oriented. Like I'm, I, I just like think in that way. Um, and like, I'll try and get like that intimate, close interaction. So like emotions tell more than just like, like I, I've been trying to understand like what has like a, like a stronger resonance, I guess, with people. Like, is it like emotion or facts? Like what should we believe more? But that's like a different conversation, I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, um, yeah, I, I had an interview. I got, I got chosen based on off my portfolio, off my website. Um, again, my portfolio was super like, it had like a mixture of everything. I did video, I did 360 video, I did stills, um, I did audio slideshows. Um, I'm really like fascinated with it all. Like I was telling them all these different story ideas that are still in progress um, and that I was like hoping like maybe they could publish. Um, and so, but then the next week I got a phone call from um, Megan Lorem, who was, who was the director of photography at the Times. Um, and she said, I got it. And I was crying. It felt like Christmas. Um, when she told me that it was like really, really amazing. And um, I started my first day last year on June 3rd. And for a week we had orientation. And then right in there we got right into assignments. Um, and I essentially worked like probably 24 days a month be realistic like I was working literally every day um, and I did a variety of assignments that was like such an incredible experience I've done everything from photographing food to real estate to going on political campaign tours photographing every single democratic candidate I read um, about it you you photographed uh, every uh, presidential candidate from the democratic 2020 yeah. I mean that's amazing how was it it was cool it was I mean it was scary because like in college classes sort of prep you for these type of like idealistic assignments you know like they'll be like yeah you'll photograph a celebrity and you only have two minutes and it's true you literally have like between 30 seconds and two minutes and um I mean I went on tour with Joe Biden and Bloomberg and those were also like super fun experiences but I mean doing the sitting portraits was like amazing from like beginning to end like I worked with Damon Winter who was a Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times photographer who was also my mentor throughout the whole year and he's an excellent portrait photographer. And so he helped me set up the whole light uh, situation. And we made like a makeshift studio. Um, the assignment was to photograph all the candidates, but it was also for like the endorsement project. Um, right. So the opinion desk had, like endorses a specific Democratic candidate that's like, it's, but it's opinion. It's not like the New York Times itself. So it's different, but, um, but yeah, I got assigned to go photograph like sort of behind the scenes of what that endorsement looked like and like a sit down portrait of each of them. Um, and Bernie Sanders like gave me like li literally five seconds um, <laughs> and his mouth was kind of open and he was a little <laughs> awkward. Um, it was like snowing that day. So he was kind of like wet and his hair was all funny. So after his endorsement interview, I tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, do you mind if we do that again? Like, <laughs> you look a little <laughs> weird. And, and he was like, yeah, sure. Um, but in the beginning he was like super grumpy. And then Joe Biden was great. He gave me like a great big smile. Um, and the whole thing is like televised um, for the weekly, which is like a new New York Times documentary show, which is like a super cool show. 
Um, and so that was like an hour long episode and I like cut out little clips that I'm like featured in. Um, and you can like hear me saying like, hi, I'm Brittany. And like, you know, you see me in the picture. So it was like super duper cool. Um, and it made me like less nervous to like then go photograph them like in the future. Like I had to go to California later that like month and photograph the democratic debate and I would see them all in person and everyone like in the press pool is like freaking out. It's like pure chaos. And you were like, that's so cool. I already know yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, like, I would wave at them. Yeah, I would wave at them and they would recognize me. Like, Amy Klobuchar, like, smiled at me. So I was like, okay, cool. Nice. Um, and yeah, I would, I would go on tour with Joe Biden and Bloomberg. And both of them were completely, like, different experiences, but, like, really interesting and learned a lot. And, you know, just, like, collaborating and communicating with my editor at all times, keep them updated, and filing on my, like, at my deadline. Um, it's nice. It's awesome. How has things changed for you since the time you uh, became a part of New York Times? It's it's a very big responsibility. You are a, you are you are providing them with photographs which are going going out there. Uh, millions of people are looking at these pictures. You know how has things changed for you personally, professionally, people around you? How has it been? Um, things have definitely changed since I graduated college. I mean. My whole time senior year in college was just about pitching. I just wanted to get my name out there. Like I would apply to a whole bunch of competitions. I would like send my story ideas to editors. I'd be like, hi, da da da. Um, and they would like pay me no mind really. And now like, you know, I get like Instagram messages almost every day asking from students like, how can I like, or like tips on how to apply to the fellowship. Um, so it's been really positive. Um, definitely I feel like there is a responsibility now that like my social media and Instagram holds like um and I felt like that before, like not even like I mean I have friends who photograph Trump every day at the White House and I look to them for like news you know I literally look at their images to understand like the truth um and so I feel like a lot of people now I've gained a lot of followers since graduating um and people are like looking to me for like what is happening in the world um, right. so it's there's an immense pressure to it <laughs> um but it's also cool um and personally um i mean sometimes i mean this job is really hard because like you're documenting life and you're trying to live your life at the same time so there's it's like almost every day where I see something and I want to become friends with someone, but then at the same time, I know they have a fascinating story. And I'm like, wow, like your life is a movie. Like I want to document it. And so it's, it's really hard sometimes to like navigate that like thin line um, to like crossover. Um, Has it um, changed with your uh, relations, your friends, uh, family, relatives, when they know that, oh, you are associated with such a big brand right now? Uh, have things changed on that perspective? My my mom and my grandma are really proud of me. They like take out all my tear sheets. Um, I haven't gotten any sort of like negative feedback of oh you work for the Times like fake news. No, right. none of that. Um, and thank God. And and sometimes when when you actually I have had one friend who like is really like always trying to tell me like like the Times is this the Times is that. I'm like no, this is what it is. This is what it looks like like. And I was like, you know, just me going out and doing these things or like I'll have a reporter with me um, or just finding things together. Like it, it really is real people looking at these things. It's not like a robot, you know, coming up like generated headlines and stuff. Um, and a lot of people do think that. I mean, the brand name definitely does help too when you're going out and 
covering things like during coronavirus time at its peak in like March, April in New York, like definitely had my badge around my neck was helpful in wanting to document like what subways are looking like I am or you know like how long are the grocery lines um and people are wondering like why are you photographing me and you're like I work for the times so like, oh, okay you know and so it's it's a lot of and especially with coronavirus like it's super hard to connect with people now because right. you're, you're covered by the mask you have to keep at a certain distance everyone is like thinks you have the bubonic plague like <laughs> you know it's it's ridiculous but um, you just have to like learn how to navigate it, but definitely having that like brand name and like the times is such a great support system. Like everyone there is really like a family. And do you feel, uh, because you are in this line and, um, when you are out there on the field, especially in times like these right now, this year has been very difficult. I mean, and for someone who is reporting from the field, uh, going there and interacting with people every day, uh, it's more difficult for you. And probably someone who's there with you, the reporter, all the time. Does it get to you mentally? It affects you. It it must be difficult, of course. But how? What would it, how would you describe it? During coronavirus. During coronavirus. During Black Lives Matter. I mean, everything is on ground. You are seeing there. You are on. You are there between people. Among those people, it gets to you sometimes. Yeah, and it does. I mean, I got coronavirus in March. Um, so it definitely got to me. Oh God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it's hard, to, it's hard sometimes to like decompress, you know? Um, I would feel that more so when I was doing like long-term stories, like I, I did a project about, um, like reborn dolls, these women who collect, um, hyper-realistic baby dolls. And I would listen to all their stories about why they collect these dolls. And some of them, um, like the husband, like basically stole the baby or the husband the husband said like if you would like have the baby adopted like then I'll, I'll I'll stay with you like if you like leave the baby and like put it up for adoption then I'll stay with you like it's just like these like really intense like emotional relationship things that I end up hearing about that you like are putting yourself into and you're listening to all this and it it definitely does get to you at night um and also like if this is a video project like you know I have to rewatch it and rewatch it um yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you definitely, I mean, I'm a person first before I'm a photographer. Like, like I sometimes don't pick up the camera when like people are crying, you know, like I want to help them. And I haven't, I haven't photographed any like police brutality protest things. Like I haven't been in that because one, I don't have training for it. Uh, two, I haven't been assigned it. So I'm not going to just go out and do it and risk my health and my gear. There's people who've been shot in the eye, like, right. the past couple months. Like, um, it's crazy. So I don't know if I could actually, like, compose an image when all this chaos is happening, you know? Um, right. yeah. I, I know I know what your question is. But no, it no, I understand. Really I think, I think yeah. you kind of put it together, and I can understand what you are trying to communicate. Tell me this thing. Um, so over here, I, it's kind of a... a cross-cultural question I don't know how to describe it but in India if you're a photographer uh, you're a photojournalist vis uh, visual journalist you are not you don't get that kind of a respect over here okay um, it's very sad it's very sad part that someone who's out there and capturing those pictures until unless you are a celebrity photographer or you are this world-class photographer known for something big you don't get that kind of respect from the people from the masses 
from your family friends also let me tell you that ways i mean over here if you are a fashion photographer people might give you a little respect they'll think oh you you sit down with celebrities you do these fun shoots okay otherwise ground level photographers visual journalists do not get that kind of respect how are things there at your end in new york in america i'll i'll give you an example over here so how i found you was a very interesting thing um i follow new york times i keep on reading uh instagram articles and everything and they have this one thing they put out the photographer's name whenever there's a picture you know mm-hmm. short by and i i saw your names couple of time and i then i went to your profile and then i researched about you that's when i got connected to you because i knew okay there's someone who's who's uh, shooting these pictures for new york times and this is what she's covering that thing doesn't happen over here okay you will never see a photographer's name put out on an instagram page or a website page of a news channel or a news website that you know shot by this person this is done so over here on the very base level itself in the newsroom itself you're not getting that kind of a recognition that you should get over there it's a little better from you right of course if they're putting your name out there it's of course little better from you or much better from you uh, but mm-hmm. what about the kind of response you get from the people who find out oh you are a photographer you you click pictures for your livelihood that's your bread and butter bread and butter how do you respond to it or how do they respond to you they're positive they're super positive i mean like they find it super fascinating and interesting they want to know the stories that i've encountered um but again like i am a huge proponent for telling your own stories like you don't need to go to a foreign country and photograph these people that don't look like you that you don't know that i mean yeah maybe they're more vibrant there might be different climate and weather and it's like cool but like tell your own stories from your own backyard and that's what i'm like a huge proponent for and that's what i learned when i was in college you know i went to peru and that was how i initially got interested in photography because i was like whoa look at this different like lifestyle everything and yeah that's real and true but at the same time i can't really like connect with those people like i don't speak the language and like i'll never really know their history fully um there's a lot of people who like move to like different parts of the world because they think that like they're needed but their voices are needed the people who live there their voices needed and so it's like it's super super you know awful to hear that like in india photographers are just like treated i guess with disrespect or like not necessary when like it's exactly. like, i mean it's very sad actually you will never yeah. see anyone saying oh my god you're a photographer great tell me how is it to be a photographer and india is so vibrant you know i've never been to india and it's my dream literally to go um like literally but and i know i would have a blast there i want to spend at least like 3 months there wow. but <laughs> no for sure i want to go to jaipur like everything Um, uh you know I am from Jaipur so if you need any really? yeah. yes I will visit you when I go um that'd be awesome um <laughs> but like yeah there's tons of white photographers who just go to India who then photograph these like stereotypical images of whatever you know versus like what like the real what it like really looks like from like their perspective which is like their voice and so and just like giving it a human element like it's it's all about like universal themes like that's also what i learned a lot about in college like like you, you need to find like the universality of like the story that you're doing so that anyone who speaks any language from any ethnicity race blah blah, blah age 
can like relate to it and understand and so that's like what I'm really trying to like my goal is and like all the stories that I tell it's like how can I like how can anyone look at this picture and like understand what's happening right you know yeah no matter how old they are anything they can like feel it so I don't know if I answered your question but that's but that's annoying that that exists yeah yeah uh what are the some of the fears that you have Brittany as a as a photographer as a female photographer I guess my fear is just like misinterpreting the scene you know like not asking enough questions um putting my own voice into it versus the voice of others like we are the eyes and ears of the world but like we also like are shedding a light and like giving a voice to those people like I'm just like you know the tool I guess like I'm just like the like I'm not I don't know how to say yeah like they are the voice you know right. for it. and so I'm just there to like document it and observe it and be there so I'm always trying to have like a very neutral like neutral stance on things I'm trying to always empower people that I'm photographing um and so I mean I'm, yeah that's a fear um and so another fear I guess is like fear of failure um I hate to fail. I hate to like let people down. Um, I would hate to miss a deadline. Um, that's scary. Um, <laughs> Everyone has those kind of fears, fear of failure, being misinterpreted. That, that's kind of something which every, we all fear. Uh, you know, you spoke about your projects and things that you want to work on and things that you are working on. Uh, tell me, as a photographer, what is what are what are those projects like your dream project that you really want to put it out there some point of time in life? Um, so right now, I'm working on a project about meeting my biological father for the first time. Um, I bumped into him on the subway in 2017 for the first time ever. Um, so I had a stepfather growing up, and he passed away of lung cancer, and that was what that whole project was about. Um, but my biological father like abandoned me and my mom when we were born and his name was Scott and I had no idea what he looked like, who he was, anything. Um, my mom, my mom would like tell me some stories, like he was a punk rocker and that they met at a nightclub, um, and that he was a piece of shit (laughs) and that was about (laughs) it. Um, and one day in college, I received a Facebook message from him. We, We shared the same last name. Um, and he had finally like looked my name up he always thought that I had like resented him and would keep my mom's last name which is Kirkland um but instead I have my last name which is Newman which is his um and so he Facebook messaged me and he wanted to like meet me and I was like super nervous and scared and um I recorded our first phone call because I was like you know maybe I can make this like into a documentary project like the reconnection of us um and he's very poetic in the way he speaks when we talked on the phone he was all he was doing was like crying basically and saying how much he missed me and loved me and it was really like weird for me um and so that year passed and then one time it was like a couple days before christmas and i was walking down the subway and i saw this guy with a huge santa hat on and like a big leather jacket with spikes all over it and i was like whoa what a funny picture like a punk rocker santa and i looked at the face and i was like holy crap that's my dad um we look a lot alike and both have long hair, similar almond-shaped eyes, pink lips, everything. Um, and at that moment in time, I didn't like approach him in person. I Facebook messaged him, and I was like, "Wait, I think I just saw you." And he was like, "What? Really? Like, why didn't you say anything?" And I was like, "I don't know. It's kind of weird." Um, 
And then I was like, wait here, I'm gonna go get, go home, go get my camera, and I'll be right back. Um, he's like, okay, cool. And so I ended up photographing him and like interviewing him and meeting him really for the first time in his bedroom. Um, and that sort of like sparked this whole new relationship. And um, I'm like learning a lot about myself because through him, um, for sure, because like, I'm, I'm telling him things I haven't really told anyone before, like things about like relationships and boy advice and things like that. And it's kind of interesting to like connect with someone like in your early 20s instead of like growing up with someone. Um, but at the same time, it's also like, like, what do I owe him? You know, like he was never around for me. Like he never helped out me and my mom at all. I mean, he definitely tried to reach out, but my mom didn't want anything from him. Um, and so it's been, it's been cool getting to know him. Like he's a punk rocker. And like, he invites me to concerts and shows and I end up meeting all his friends and um, they're all smoking weed in the back of this car. And it's like, I feel like I'm in the eighties. Like they're all dressed the same. Um, it's like a legit time warp. Um, and it's super visual. It's super fascinating to photograph and it gives me energy and it gives me motivation to like continue this type of work. Um, and it's personal and it's intimate, which is like everything I want. And I find, I think there is things that people can relate to. I have a lot of friends who haven't met their fathers before. Um, or their fathers abandoned them. Um, and I just think it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool interaction. Um, so that's a project that I'm working on and I'm incorporating voicemails and text messages, video, still images. It's like a whole multimedia thing. Um, and it takes a lot of pauses because like, again, it's really, it's from like a first person perspective. Um, I do want someone to like film me, like as we're interacting too, but it's, it's complicated, I don't know. I think it's um, difficult because it's your vision and then you'll think yeah. that nobody else will get it. So you'll, you'll yeah. never be able to trust someone with that kind of a shooting yeah. or a video thing. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and another project I'm working on is about virginity auctions. Um, it's about these girls who are selling their virginity online for like millions of dollars. Right. Uh, I came up with the idea about like a year ago and I ended up traveling back to Peru um, to document this girl who's selling hers for 500000 Um, And when I met her, she was about to, like, board a plane and, like, go to Dubai where this guy was. And the guy canceled on her because um, he just chickened out, I guess. Um, and, and so I ended up spending the week with Claudia. Um, and we ended up going to um, the gynecologist together where we showed like proof of virginity where that's like what she sends to these guys um she asked in return for like a bank statement see if there's like proof of like wealth um it was just like this like fascinating like weird lifestyle that she was living i mean there was there's many different girls in this story in this film um and they all think that like selling their virginity will set them up for life and this is like what they want to do um and it is their choice so it is kind of like empowering but it's also at the same time like super scary like yeah. these girls some of them, Claudia, for example, had never gone on a plane by herself in her life. And she was going to lie to her parents and say that she was going to Spain. Well, no, she was going to, the guy was from Dubai, sorry. She was going to end up meeting him, him in Spain. Um, and she was going to go to Spain and she was going to tell her parents, like, yeah, I'm going for, like, a cosmetology school because that's what she does in Peru. Um, and she's, like, super shy. She's 25. And we went to the club together with her friends and, like, she would barely dance. Meanwhile, like, the girl who introduced me to this topic, her name's Sabrina, and she is like a model and like lives like a total New York like nightlife club 
model lifestyle. And so all these girls live different lifestyles and I'm super interested in the fact that they all have very different, but they all have this one goal in like selling their virginity. Um, and so that project is still underway. Vice is really interested in it. My dream is to get it on Netflix um, and have like a little docu-series, like have like an hour long or 30 minute long episodes of each girl. Um, and Vice is really interested in girls that are based in New York. So I've been in contact. I've been going on like all these virginity websites. If anyone ever looked at like my <laughs> internet history, they Browse think I'm history. like, <laughs> yeah, they like, literally think I'm like the weirdest person ever. Um, Cause I look up like a lot of random stuff. Uh, I love research. That's like part of my favorite process. That's like one of my favorite things within the process of like journalism. Um, right. And I'm always like, I'm using Instagram and Facebook a lot to find my subjects, but for this, I'm going on like virginity websites um, and it's weird. And buyers are also hitting me up and um, I'm not, I'm very honest in what I'm doing and why I'm there. I tell them straight up, like I'm doing a documentary, like, are you interested in speaking? And some of them say no and some of them say yes. So it's cool, but that's, so those are two projects that are underway. Um, and I mean, I have products from that I did in college that I would love to continue working on and fixing with all the lessons. Pretty tell, tell me about the uh, New York Times uh, picture of the year that you picked. I'm very interested in knowing that. It's a couple of, uh, uh, it's, it's a kissing picture at the Pride March, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. 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 yeah? How did, um, how did that happen? Yeah. What was it about? What's the backstory of it? So June is Pride Month, and literally events are happening every single day. There's parties um, that are happening on rooftops. There's parties happening at 4 a.m. Um, there's roller derbies, uh, all this different stuff. It's a blast. It's going on yeah. every day, every yeah. single hour. Yeah. It's super cool, and it's exhausting. And that was yeah. one of our first like, assignments, like legit assignments. And I was assigned to photograph, like, all the parties at night because my editors knew that like I'm a night owl and that I like to go clubbing and so <laughs> they were like you're gonna get this one I was like okay cool because like there's cool light at night so I was happy with it but Pride March came and that was like the last day of like this whole assignment um and it was like literally 100 degrees I got like a massive sunburn like a camera sunburn strap <laughs> strap sunburn um I was really exhausted I wasn't happy with any of the images I made they were pretty like sort of like normal images that you would capture there. It's, it's hard because parades are so big. There's so many people. Um, it's not really about like limited space. Like it's not like about like people are telling you where you can stand or not, but it's just like trying to see, you know, and like trying to focus because everything is happening at once. Right. Um, so I, it was like 5 p.m. Um, 5 p.m. was like our deadline, like we're done for the day. Um, I was like leaving a Starbucks. I wasn't really happy with anything I shot. I sent in my final images and I walked out of Starbucks and I saw these two couple that was kissing against the scaffolding. And I was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. I, like snapped a couple pictures. They like looked at me and laughed. And I was like, no, 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 keep kissing. It's cool. And they're like, okay. Um, I got their names and then I went right back into the Starbucks and I texted my editor immediately. I was like, wait, I got a great picture. Like, just hold on. Um, and that picture ended up getting used like all over the place and it got featured in the year in pictures, which was a huge honor, it's, like the best of photojournalism yeah. in like the whole world, according to the times, um, for each month. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I love that image. Like encapsulates exactly like what Pride March is. It's like people 
trying to like see what the parade is about but it's also about these small moments of joy and love um and equality and inclusivity and you know so yeah. i love that picture it's one of my favorite images ever made it's so beautiful ridney to um Thanks. talk to you about the stories and the culture because it's so relatable right now for me what i am trying to do is something you are already doing with your pictures and your camera it i know the exact feeling how it feels when you talk to someone and get to know their stories and what went behind that person the success the failure everything so it's so beautiful to get to know you to talk to you you took out such long time for this podcast it's great i mean um, it's even beautiful to know someone from another part of the world and of i course. know we had to we had to do a lot of to and fro of timings and everything but i'm really glad it worked out for both of us um thank you uh, if you have to uh, i just want you to give me a brief introduction of yourself because i really like people telling uh, their their introduction in their own voices you know if you have to introduce yourself how would you do it uh hi i'm britney newman i'm a visual journalist based in new york city and i love storytelling That was Brittany Newman, a photojournalist based in New York City. You can follow her on her Instagram page at bnewmanphoto. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your Snap buddies, your Insta buddies, your Facebook buddies, or even maybe your crush. You know, after all, stories do bring us together. I would love to hear from you all, so you can slide in your messages in my Instagram DMs at tcisha. or stories you should know you can also write to me at tcisha@gmail.com also i want to give a shout out to my family and friends i want to tell you all that i miss you guys every day and i love you so much and for all those listening to this podcast pick up the phone call the people you love listen to their stories because life is unpredictable and one thing this year has taught us is that we need people we love around us to survive this interview was recorded over a zoom call so you can watch the video footage on my youtube channel just type tarushi chaudhry and you will find it i will be back next week till then take care of yourself help someone in need if you can be patient and be kind this is misty signing off